And I started meeting just young men in the neighborhood who were, you know, 12, 13, all the way through high school. Some had already been to prison, some were headed there, dealing drugs, more serious things, gang activity. And it, it, everything just came full circle around me of the work that my father did, my story, and the trouble that I had gotten into. Welcome back to Snapshot Atlanta. I'm your host, Denor Sepulia. This week, I talked to Larry Witherspoon, founder of the Automotive Training Center, an organization breaking the cycle of mass incarceration by providing free automotive repair training and employment for young people in the inner city of Atlanta. So I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, my father was a inner city high school teacher. He grew up in the inner city and he wanted to give me and my sister uh, some more opportunities because he worked at a high school and he knew some of the challenges some of the students were coming from. So we sent me and my sister to private uh, Catholic school, actually. So mm-hmm. I did that kindergarten through high school. And uh, it, was, it was very rigorous. Uh, I didn't know how rigorous it was until I went to college and I, I went to just a state school. Mm-hmm. And I hardly remember my first two years because it was... It was pretty easy. Really? Yes. Compared to compared to your, uh, yes. your your private school? Mm-hmm. Were you all like an athlete or were you an academic? What, what were your strengths in, in let's say, high school? Um, I was a B student. Um, I wouldn't say I was of exceptional intelligence, but when I worked hard, I did decent. Mm-hmm. But I played sports. I played basketball and football. Uh, played basketball, not all the way through high school, but football took me uh, through my first two years in college. So oh, I went wow. to college on a football scholarship, um, but I only stayed two years because I didn't like the program. But so did you finish college? Was this in Ohio? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so Bowling Green State University mm-hmm. in uh, North, oh, I know. Yeah. Northwest Ohio. And uh, I actually did two years. And then this is another part of my story, but I left, went to the Navy, did that for five years. And I came back and finished my last two years and graduated. Okay, cool. So what what caused you to go to the Navy two years into college? So uh, I was actually, I I wasn't really aware of it at the time, but I was carrying a lot of emotional baggage from my childhood. I had a contentious relationship with my father. He was great at, uh, he was was a mentor to a lot of the students that he saw in his class. He was was an industrial technology or like shop teacher. Mm -hmm. And he coached multiple sports, wrestling, football, basketball, worked part-time at a youth detention home. But he was also gone a lot, and we he was he was around, but we weren't very close. And I had some resentment about that and some other things in my childhood. And so I carried that with me. It was actually really helpful for me when I was playing football because I had an outlet yeah. for some of the, some of that anger. But when I actually left college, uh, those issues didn't uh, go away. They stayed with me and actually kind of ramped up. And so. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't like the program in college, and um, I had gotten into some issues with some drugs, was using drugs, actually started selling drugs, and I got really burnt out. And so uh, my grades started slipping, and I didn't have the rest of the money to pay for college because I was quitting the, quitting the team. So I, I took the summer off from school, and I decided I just wanted to join the military because I didn't want to do school at that time. So... I mean, if you don't mind me asking, you don't have to answer this. What, what got you into 
those types of you know bad habits of of of, of drug was it just peer pressure or um like how, why did you start selling i mean you had a scholarship and everything so was it what was the what was the drive behind that i think uh well initially i just i really enjoyed it um, yeah and yeah. you know my, my drug of choice was marijuana but mm-hmm. it um it it became um, I really, I actually really did need money. It's hard to mm-hmm. work when you're playing a sport because the sport is a full-time job plus your studies. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a lot of energy to put towards employment. I worked some fast food jobs, but uh, because my parents, they made enough money for us to kind of go to private school, but they didn't have you know a lot of disposable income on top of that. So I was kind of on my own to kind of figure those things out. And that's why I went down that road. And and I think that you know I'm I'm glad you brought that up that it's it's not always you know that oh I just want to do it I can't help it but there really are other you know environmental circumstances that that push people to that so you went to the military for five years and and uh, and you were in the navy right mm-hmm. so what did you do and I asked you this before the recording but I just wanted to get it on here so so what did you do in the navy specifically where were you stationed so I was a submariner stationed on uh, the USS Tucson uh, fast attack submarine out of Pearl Harbor Hawaii. And I was a sonar technician, so we listened to the sounds in the water to detect enemy ships, um, merchant shipping, things like of that nature. Was there ever, did you ever detect an enemy ship? Oh yeah, you did. Yeah. So you you were in the navy for five years, and then did did you decide to like why why did you decide to leave then? Well, I primarily went to the navy to get the GI Bill to pay gotcha. off my education. I also wanted to travel too. So uh, when it was coming time for me to get out, I had a decision point. I looked into doing some of the um, college programs within the military where then you can be commissioned as an officer. And I felt that they were really restrictive because one of the only jobs that I wanted to do as an offer was be a supply officer. Um, And so I wanted the flexibility. So I actually got discharged. I went immediately back to school and started using my GI Bill, and I had the flexibility. If I want to go back in, I can, but if not, I can still just you know work in a regular job. And mm-hmm. what it really came down to was that the travel is so difficult for families, and I felt like I was getting to a place where I wanted to pursue having a family and get married, mm-hmm. and that was really what kept me from going back in, and I was able to get a really good job right after graduation. So. Okay, so so you know you came back from the Navy and you finished your your remaining two years of school. Did you do this at Ohio? Yeah, I went back to the same school to Bowling Green. So if you could compare for me the first two years of of you being at Ohio compared to the you know remaining two years, mm-hmm. how did you change? Uh, <laughs> it was it was night and day. I uh, I. I haven't spoken about this, but I actually got arrested when I was in the military, and I was at right before I got out, and I was facing an assault charge. Um, I feel like a lot of those emotional things I was dealing with yeah. really came to a head, and I got into a domestic situation, and it was it was just a really big wake up call. I I I really became a person of faith, and I was looking back on my life, and I wanted it to be more about positivity going forward than some of the other things I was doing um, that were dangerous could have ended me in jail or even dead. Yeah. 
and I didn't want to live like that anymore. So when I went back to school, um, I wasn't out partying. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the friends that I had had graduated and moved on regardless, but I got involved with a church group. I was really um, focused on my studies, sitting in the front of class, getting things done. And oh, so, okay. <laughs> so you went from the back of the class to the front. Right, right, right. So I got it done. I didn't take any breaks, just went straight through and, and got my diploma. And were those charges dropped? Yeah, they were. Okay. They were. Um, miraculously, I was saved from that. It gave me a new lease on life. And so how did you start the Automotive Training Center? So, uh, again, going back to my time in the military, I wanted to do something positive. I wasn't certain at, at that point, and so I worked some jobs. I was looking to do some different things uh, in the corporate world, and so I started pursuing some nonprofit work, and I got an opportunity to move to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be part of a community development effort that is run by Focus Community Strategies that has been doing that type of work, mm-hmm. helping rebuild neighborhoods for over 30 years. And as I came here, they were very adamant about just paying attention to your surroundings and not getting involved in too many things, too many programs right away. And so I did that, and I started meeting just young men in the neighborhood who were you know, 12, 13, all the way through high school. Some had already been to prison, some were headed there, dealing drugs, more serious things, gang activity. And it, it everything just came full circle around me of the work that my father did, mm-hmm. my story and the trouble that I had gotten into. And just thinking about these young people who had come from less means mm-hmm. than me, less support, and they're dealing with more serious things and knowing that I could have been in jail or dead just like them and it it just tugged on my heart and I just knew I had to do something and so at first I thought I would start a for-profit business and just hire them and we ended up applying for it in a grant and got awarded and we moved more towards the nonprofit route. And, and I want to make sure that I that I heard you correctly you said that these these you know essentially boys mm-hmm. 13 or 14 they'd gone to prison not not jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah one of my wow. one of my neighbors is um, He's got a 10-year sentence that he's serving right now. And so so you had this you know, this drive at that point that, mm-hmm. okay, a lot of these 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 men, I guess you, mm-hmm. you can say, were reminding you of, of who you used to be. How did the idea of, of starting an automotive repair shop come about? What was that story like? Why didn't you start something else? I thought about a few other things. A laundromat, uh, a grocery store, because those were needed in the neighborhood. And I got to meet with a career counselor who helped me think through just some of my passions and just tried to marry what I'm passionate about. And so it was helping young people, and cars are my number one love. And so I, I had thought in the past about being just an auto shop owner, and it all came together like that. And so you got the grant. And, and so moving forward, um, what was the process of, of, of building this place? Mm-hmm. So it was very rough in the beginning. <laughs> we had you just so started our, smiling. So our first, our first grant, we got $5,000, mm-hmm. and we put it towards tools and a trailer. We didn't have a truck to tow You're it around. Me. But we had tools and a trailer. 
And what? Just another thing that happened was we got connected to a church mm-hmm. here locally in Powder Springs, and they have their own auto repair center. They help people who can't afford car repairs and church members. And so I went out there the first day and told them about my idea, and they were very supportive. We got in a circle and talked about it. And it, was, <laughs> it was it was just so supportive. Yeah. And then once we got the grant, I was telling them about, hey, we got this, we got this trailer and right. tools, and they were like, well, actually. Would you like a truck donated to you? Uh, oh, 2001 wow. Chevy Suburban to haul that and students. We were like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't want to give it to like a single mom or anything mm-hmm. who had, you know, the, the gas is expensive and yeah. repairs and all of that. So it was perfect for us. So, so how did this work? So you guys had a trailer mm-hmm. and a truck and would you just drive around to different Customers, is that? Yep, we would we would <laughs> gather the students. We would drive to people's houses and we would fix their fix their cars, like a mobile repair shop, basically. Yeah, yeah. and then we found out uh, it was hard getting all the equipment in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the toolbox would fall over in the trailer, <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't like working outside because we'd be at people's houses sometimes at night, and all the wildlife would be coming out. Okay, it wasn't <laughs> wasn't fun getting bit by bugs, and so. We talked to the church, we're like, hey, this is not working for us. And they were like, hey, you can use our space when we're not using it. We only use it about five or six times a a month. We're like, perfect. So we would go out there on an off night. Mm -hmm. We would take cars and students and drive them all the way, 45 minutes out there. And we figured we didn't like that because we'd have to work our full-time jobs and get off, rush out there. If we were missing a part or anything, it was just very difficult. Was this just like in the church parking lot or something? Or? They they have a they have a like five or six bay shop. It's pretty sizable. Okay. So we were inside at that point, but it was a distance that wasn't good for yeah. us, and it wasn't our own space. Mm-hmm. So through my the job I was working at the time, I found out about this uh, location that we rent currently in East Point, and so we started with uh, one bay, and then we were able to acquire a second one last year, and we've been here about three and a half years now. And so once you got this space, how did the way everybody worked change? Well, we were just doing um, our part-time night program. Okay. So once we got here, we were able to, uh, me and Sean, our other co-founder, we were able to leave our full-time jobs and open this center five days a week. That was the biggest part of growth in our center. And so we were able to also start our entry-level program, which takes students through eight weeks of training in automotive. And then we also help them with soft skills and help them get employed at uh, mostly dealerships afterwards. So is, is the goal to make them employable specifically in in the automotive industry or is it just to give them a skill like like what is the overall conceptual goal of of the automotive training center so it's both we're not necessarily geared towards that everybody leaves and becomes an automotive technician Mm -hmm. Uh, but we want them to have confidence in themselves our core values are confidence passion for learning and work ethic and so we try to instill those values and it's really just problem solving just like you did in school if they may have dropped out of high school it's problem solving and we try to cater it towards their learning styles and what we find is we we do accept female students but most of our uh, male students and I was this way I would just get bored sitting in class Mm -hmm. but we're we're out in the classroom here and they're moving around they're turning wrenches ratchets 
it all just clicks for them. And I've, I've heard so many of them say learning is fun when they yeah. never would have said that when they were just in a regular classroom setting. Yeah, I mean, this is such a non, I guess, what's the word, traditional, a right. non-traditional way to learn because you're just doing it, right? Like you're not, you're not taking any notes or anything like that. You just, you're out here. And I think, I mean, even education has a long way to go with incorporating more active and tactile mm-hmm. ways of learning into it. But um, how I wanted to ask, how do you find these people to really take classes here? Mm-hmm. What is that process like? So we have three mainstreams. Uh, we uh, just internet searching. Mm-hmm. So we're the number one search when you type in automotive training in Atlanta. We're the number one center that pops up over all the technical schools. Number two, we work with law enforcement and corrections, Department of Juvenile Justice, yeah. Fulton County Juvenile Court. They send us students for referral mm-hmm. that are in the system, either in probation or parole. And then lastly, we work with other nonprofits that have the same demographic um, of 15 to 25 year olds as us, and then they refer students that are already in their programs to us to get automotive training. So what would an ideal candidate look like? So for us, we, we actually prefer if students have actually been to jail and or prison because they come a little bit more hungry. They've yeah. seen what the other side of it is, and it makes them very receptive to what we're trying to teach them. So, but we, we get students from all kinds of backgrounds, um, underemployed, homeless, some mental illness, um, whole host of things. So we try to just be all-encompassing and be able to take people wherever they're at. Mm-hmm. And, and these classes are completely free for them, right? Like yes. They don't pay a cent. Yes. Wow. Yes, and we also offer assistance if they need um, uh, help getting a job, mm-hmm. phones, um, bus fare, things of that nature. Okay. I've done a few of these interviews already, you know, talking to different people and nonprofits and uh, trying to see really what their vision is as well and something that keeps coming up and you just touched on this was community mm-hmm. you know it, it's just a lot of that word just keeps popping up over and over again and I wanted to know what does community mean to you community is is our ATC family here mm-hmm. I we speak on it during class but especially at graduation to let our students our graduate know that they are now alumni that means that they always have a place here. As we continue to grow, we want to hire them back as instructors. Mm-hmm. We want them to come into our events. They pop in from time to time. It's very impactful for a former student to come talk to current students because as adults, you know what it's like to hear something from your family, but yeah. one of your peers mm-hmm. says something is so much more impactful because they can be like, hey, I was in your same yeah. circumstances. Put your effort forth here, and you will be successful. Where do you see uh, ATC going? I have a I have a huge vision. I want to help as many people as possible. Georgia has the incarceration rates here are very high, and there's also a need for automotive technicians. Technicians are getting older, retiring, and are not being replaced. And so, mm-hmm. it's a very lucrative industry in multiple avenues in sales. Um, administration, management, and and service as a technician. So we want to 
grow to more locations to be able to offer this maybe throughout the southeast but at least in atlanta and uh, be a, a one-stop shop for where our dealerships want to come and get entry-level technicians and we're going to be starting a program sometime next year an intermediate level course mm-hmm. so they can garner uh, higher wages and have a higher ceiling when they graduate from that program okay so really trying to build on what you've already made specifically with the students that you've already trained as well and you know for for anybody listening what's the best way to get involved with this program uh if you're wanting to be a student at the automotive training center the best way is to go to our website automotivetrainingcenter.org and fill out an application online under the programs tab if you're interested in volunteering you can go to our contact us page and you can send an email or give us a call and we can talk about how to move forward with that A special thanks to Larry for his time and being a great guest. Next week, I talk to Terrence Lester, founder of Love Beyond Walls, a nonprofit that exists to raise awareness of societal needs with technology and storytelling. This episode is a product of Audiographies, edited by Jacob Smolian. The music was created by Yolanda Weathers, Trey Leon, and Keenan Willis. This episode was sponsored by no one, but it could be sponsored by you please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash audiographies and consider becoming a patron so we can keep bringing you stories like this one. You'll get access to behind-the-scenes content like photos with our guests, unedited interviews, or bloopers like this one right here, technology and storytelling, and also mobilize people to take part in it. All right. We'll see you in the next one.